0: Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP.
1: This week on TWIP, House Goes DSLR, ASMP Sue's Google, and Woopra CEO John P talks SEO for shooters. All that and more on episode number 145 of this week in photography. And we're back for another episode of This Week in photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we have a couple of the usual suspects on the wheels of steel. Again, is Mr. Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. How's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, last I, week's I'm a episode, scratchy. by the way, last week's episode, I've been getting a little heat on the title. <laughs> <laughs> I... I. Uh, just a little bit of I heat think, on I, the title I, for the last show. I just want to say it was uh, it was it's it, all my fault, friend. So if you're interested in what I'm talking about, make sure you go check out the last show. Um, and also on the line we have Mr. Joseph Lanashki coming from SoCal. Hey, Joseph. Good morning. Long time no speak. How are you doing? I know. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's good to be back on. Good to have you Thanks on. You guys got lots Thanks. of questions for you, uh, Mr. As- Aperture Expert expert Aperture expert right? <laughs> I was expert 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 dot com joseph lunaschke and also from socal a little further i guess west from joseph is mr ron brinkman hey ron good
2: morning everybody it's good to be back on it's good to have you back on where you been what you been doing running around the world again mm, well I, I went to belize but i think we already talked about that right oh mm-hmm. you haven't been any place since belize No place since Belize, just the Hermosa Beach.
1: Yeah, which is just terrible. Just Mm. terrible. All right, before we jump into the show since we have so
0: much to talk about. Alex, you want to give a nod to our sponsor? Yeah, we'd like to thank squarespace.com uh, for their support. Of course, Squarespace is a great way to build your own site, whether you're, you know, the thing is is that a lot of us don't want to deal with code, we don't want to deal with servers, we don't want to deal with installing all that stuff. Uh, I don't want to deal with it, which is why all of the stuff that we do within the pixelcore, whether it's triplog or pixelcore.com or bordersack, which is my my uh, blog. Mm-hmm. All of those are on Squarespace because I can sit there and go up there and WYSIWYG, I can put the, all that stuff together. Uh, I don't have to think about where my server is going to be. I don't have to think about moving it around or installing it. All of that stuff is stuff that is done for me. And so it's all Ajax and really easy to do. You can do galleries, you can do forums, you can do forums, you can do uh, you know, all the basic things that you'd want put, to put up. With. When anyone asks me you know I, i'm thinking about putting a website up for my company or for myself or for my little show i'm like oh can't be bothered with yeah. like putting it together on on your own you just have to you remember you remember in the old days hey, here we go hey when people start sentences like that i just get angry you remember I
1: remember in the old days when we had to like you like had to go find an isp and get some space and then you go use microsoft front page or something build your site <laughs> Figure out how. Or, to or you hire someone and says you
0: can't do that. You can't do that. Or you, you can't do that. Yeah,
1: exactly. And they're going to charge you fifty dollars for every movement of one pixel, and then you finally get it up there, and it looks okay for about a week, and then you want to change something, and then you go back in, you change it, and then it looks wrong or it breaks.
0: And all now that. Stuff. And or now every we site
1: gets popular, and it goes down because there's not enough bandwidth, right?
0: Right. Well, yeah. You, you, <laughs> what happens with on this show some occasionally, but definitely on MacBreak and other ones, you see, what you we send a whole bunch of people to someone's website and. They're gone. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't last very long. And, and the thing is, you just want it up on the cloud. You want someone else to worry about that. And the thing is, is that it's just, as I said, we, I sit there on, I'll sit on Skype calls with, with uh, Carolyn, for instance, who uh, works on the sites with, with, with me, and and uh, and we're having a Skype call and we're changing stuff and going, hey, what do you think of that? Okay, what do you think of that? And what yeah. do you think of that? Yeah. It's just so much easier. Anyway, yeah. if you want to check it out, uh, check it out for yourself, uh, squarespace.com slash twip. And um, I think I'll put it up here. Squarespace.com slash TWIP. And uh, you can get, you don't need a credit card. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to put any money down. You can simply uh, get your subscription uh, and try it out and see if it works for you. If it does work for you, use the coupon code TWIP and get 10% off. So definitely check it out. Once again, squarespace.com slash TWIP. Uh, and it's just, uh, you've got to at least try it because it's, it's just it's just It's in the cloud. You don't have to worry about it. It's good stuff. Very cool.
1: Alex. Have you ever watched a television show called House?
0: I have not. You? Oh, you don't watch TV, dude? No, I just don't. You I don't still want... do that reading thing that I, I, people used to do. No. I, I, I um. I, I, okay, no, I have seen. It. I've, I've seen House seen once. House. I think. I think I've seen what House once.
1: The, the Southern California guys, uh, Joseph and Ron, you guys have seen House, right? I have seen it. Yes. Yeah. Did you know that the House season finale was shot entirely with a Canon Five D Mark II? I
3: did know that, and I know that because I saw it on Twitter, and I tweeted that not that long ago it oh. is uh, that 's very exciting i can 't wait to watch it
1: now that just that just kind of blows my mind in just in terms of like you i 've been on sets before, just like as a guest, you know, like in the back, looking at how they do all this stuff, and all this complex like high end camera gear people floating around and shooting this and doing all this stuff. how can they do a production level show with you know, something that costs a couple thousand dollars.
3: It, it is really impressive. Um, I mean, the quality of the image is what they're after, right? And that's what everybody's been talking about for the last couple of years now, I guess. Um You know, Vincent Laforay is doing a ton of shooting with that. And if you look at his website, you'll see what goes into it. You know, it is not just a person with a camera. There is still the whole crew. There is still you know, focus pullers. There is a ton of stuff that goes into this and into shooting with a camera like that. But it's the look that they're after. Ultimately, it's the look. And, of course, the cost of the cameras and the fact that you can just grab it with your hands and shoot it that way if you want to, which means you can get into positions where you couldn't with a big film camera or even with a red camera. You can put the camera at different places. Um, you can put it in more dangerous situations where you know, the camera might get destroyed and you don't really have to worry about it because it's not a significant investment. Uh, it's it's an impressive impressive thing well, they're doing there. And,
0: and I think we have some people on the on the – you know, online say why would you do that you know why would you that was gonna be my next question because yeah. the budget the budget isn't that big of a deal as a house I mean I, I don't know what the budget is for a house my guess is given that of what network it's on and it's more than how it is for the show <laughs> <laughs> more than ten dollars so uh, no, so so no it, it is probably uh, uh in the in the vicinity of two or three million dollars an episode yeah uh you know that's er at its height was about nine nine million an episode now a lot of that is above what we call above the line which is the actors wait a
1: minute so not to go off the rails too much and talk about this stuff but what does that budget mean so that nine million dollars budget per episode that's you have nine million dollars in your budget to record 44 minutes Forty-four minutes of show with the same sets that no, we in used last to week.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, so imagine like, the the that two hundred thousand, or while well, the actors get some of it. I mean, sometimes actors can get anywhere from on a on a network show can get anywhere from uh, ten thousand to two hundred thousand dollars an episode. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest. It depends, and that's part of why a lot of these shows tend to change actors often, mm-hmm. yeah. is to keep on resetting that system so that they can. Mm-hmm. If if you build around like a, if you're a Law and Order where you build around the storyline, not around the actors, mm-hmm. um, then you can swap them. And, and then you get in trouble like, like for, well, anyway, that's a whole other story. But the issue is is there's a big expense to um, putting putting this all on. The cameras are not the big expense. But what they did want to do, what the, I think what the 5D offers them, is it is much lighter and portable, more portable than a film camera, which is really what it's competing for in, in this respect. Because yeah. a lot of times people are shooting, uh, a lot of these episodes are being shot on film. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what they, you know, and some of them are being shot on HD, but a lot of them are being shot on film and whether it's HD or film, it's, they're big, big cameras, mm-hmm. which limits the way you shoot. It limits the, what you can do. It, it limits all those things because you know, they're heavy. Now you can only do, for instance, a steadicam for probably seven to 10 minutes at a time mm-hmm. um, on one of the, with one of those big cameras before mm-hmm. you're just tapped. But you with know, a, or you with a little it. SLR, or digital SLR, you can, you you can just float it. around with it forever. You can fit into places that you couldn't normally, you can get around, but you still have that short depth of field, that real film like look that you're gonna get there. And I think that definitely what they wanted to do was experiment. You know, it, they're getting a lot of PR because they shot it with five D. We're talking about it. Yeah, we're talking about it. So run run more than anything, run, else. What,
1: should should like the average photographer that has a Canon five D Mark II run out
2: and start filming like T V episodes or Absolutely. <laughs> I knew you were gonna no, say I, that. I, I, Alex just hinted to the point I wanted to make, which is uh, I mean this is very cool, and clearly there are reasons why you would use uh, a camera like this um, you know look wise and getting that really small depth of field because you know a regular uh, uh, video camera for shooting most of these shows does not have the large a uh, sensor anywhere near this size. So you have you, know, you can really get this narrow depth of field that you wouldn't normally be able to get, but you do have to wonder. You know, this is great. This is the first sort of major show done on uh, on a five D like this. Is this really going to be a trend, or is this more you know the publicity value they're getting by doing this? I mean, you know, every how many people listening to this show are going to tune into that episode now? How many people that mm. hear about this are going to tune in that episode? And you know, it's great, and it may get them a little more audience. But when push comes to shove, for uh, you know, weekly production, how often is something like this going to be used? And I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. I suspect that you know, it's probably going to be more a more matter of some more hybrid-like cameras are going to continue to emerge and we'll see some middle ground showing up. But I think the the bottom line is it certainly points to, you know, the quality level is there, uh, and then it just becomes a lot of the logistics instead. Yeah.
1: You know, I just wonder, we talked about this before, but there's a lot, and Richard Harrington actually, actually brought this up, a lot of people think that... Um, you know, when you when you get this brand new, you know, 5D or digital SLR that can do this beautiful video that you can just crack it out of the box, and run outside and start recording oh. episodes of house, <laughs> <You> know, which, <laughs> right. is, which is not the case. I mean, well. notwithstanding the talent in the audio and all that stuff, but just the gear that you need around that body in order to make those. I've seen some cameras, Alex, that you've had
0: that you could barely tell that there was a digital SLR in there because you had so yeah. much
1: stuff around it. Yeah. You know?
0: well, and and the thing that and the thing that is the one thing I will say is that we when we got the five D that what we, we did do is actually run out and um, shoot a little video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it can be done. What's great about it is is that you can just turn this camera into a video camera. And and that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, and, and people some people will say, well twelve minutes a take, you know, that's it's too short. You know, twelve minute, you know twelve minutes. I think, but, ah. the thing, but the thing to remember is is that when they're shooting film, they're getting seven about seven minutes of reel. Is that right, Ron? Yeah, I think I mean, yeah. depending on what size uh, you know cam you put on it, but yeah, yeah. So so these guys are their whole pipeline is built around uh, the idea that they're going to get seven minutes at a time of footage before they. And, and I'll tell you, changing a mag is way different than changing putting a new compact flash in or hitting stop and mag. record. The mag, the mag, you know, <laughs> the thing that holds all the, fi- the real film people in your league. <laughs> so so anyway, I'm just saying that that, that 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 swapping those things out is more than just. Uh, hitting stop and start again on the on the compact it's a process, yeah. it, it, it really is a process. And so and so the um, so the thing is is that they, I think that someone just definitely wanted to experiment. The what you lose a lot of times uh, when you're shooting on the compressed format that the 5D has uh, is that you are uh, in poorly lit situations. You can end up with more grain, more macro blocking, more. You know, there's a lot of things that you could that it can beat up the image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so of course, but the thing is, is in a professional environment where you already have incredible amounts of budget for the lighting and everything else, you're much more likely to have a well-lit scene lit the way it's supposed to look. So these cameras are going to be in kind of the best situation that they could be in yeah. as far as using them. And you are throwing a lot of gear all around these things. I mean, one of the things we saw at NAB uh, last week was there were three big uh, Cinevate, Zakudo, and Red Rocks, of course. And there's a lot of other little ones, but those were the three that were just doing, and they were all doing their own thing, but they were all, uh, I mean, the rigs were – I mean, they're just making it a professional camera. And, this, you know, you just had all the stuff that, that they were doing yeah. um, that were really adding – you know, turning it into a film camera. And I know we're, we're, we're using – we keep on talking about video inside of Twitter. Don't worry, photographers. I'm going to bring the train back onto photography yeah. in a second. So, but, <laughs> but, but it is something that, uh, again, I think we just have to keep on uh, – I think we have to keep on underlining to photographers that this is a big part of what's coming. You yeah. know, this is something I that I it's, think I think there think we talked to about. a your head in the sand, right? You've got you to know that this is part of, uh, you know, every camera is going to have this. And I think that more and more photographers are going to, unless you are at the very, very top of your game, I think you're going to have to pay attention to video and have to start putting that into your pipeline somewhere. What are you going to
2: say, Ron? Ron? Uh, just one little thing that kind of does bring it back to photography, mostly just from a uh, technical note. Uh, is what Alex pointed to that you know you've got these when you're recording to the the compact flash card or whatever you're basically encoding it. So effectively, these cameras when they're shooting video are the equivalent of shooting JPEG. None of these sort of crossover cameras have the ability to shoot raw video in the same way you can shoot a raw still image. Uh, that's coming in some of the higher end cameras, but right now anything that's going to a local storage medium is compressed. So it's, it's that same thing we saw. In, in stills where uh, the world kind of eventually migrated from shooting just JPEG and you know, straight to a compressed format and shooting to the RAW format. We don't have that really yet in the video world. Yeah.
0: Well, I think a lot of this excitement over these over these stills is going to occur prior to the Scarlet and the Epic coming out because I think that as RED's, you know, cameras, they're starting to show some of the footage, which looks really good. Yeah, yeah the, and that's
2: for people that don't know, that, Red, that is what RED is sort of really pioneering. The RED Camera Company is pioneering the sense of Everything uh, can be saved in sort of a raw format, including the video. All
1: right, guys. Let's let's step back firmly into, uh, I guess this is this is kind of only photographer kind of related territory. But ASMP, this is uh, the American Society, Society of Media Photographers and Other Trade Groups Representing Visual Artists, I'm reading from the notes here, have announced that they are filing a class action lawsuit against Google to prevent the search engine company from copying, scanning, or displaying copyrighted photos and other visuals in printed publications without permission. At the bottom
0: of the suit, it says, "We're mad as hell, and we're not taking it anymore." <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Give me my ball. I'm going home. Yeah, so. Now, th- this is, um, it, you know, this this went down. I, I was actually working at Amazon when a lot of this went down with the uh, authors, where you know Google's going out there and they're scanning a whole lot of books, uh, and, and then sort of they've taken the tact of. We're going to scan stuff we're going to put online, and then, and then we're going to figure out later who kind of owns the stuff we've scanned, um, which obviously got a lot of people a little bit fired up about it. Uh, and so the initial part of this was all the authors uh, who you know had ownership of some of these books that may be uh, you know not in print anymore, but are still covered under copyright. Uh, and there was a big settlement that I don't know anything's completely resolved still, but there was a big settlement on, with the Authors Guild where Google will... Uh, attempt to pay some kind of royalties to authors uh, whose books have been scanned and, you know, a big pool of money they're establishing. Point being, though, that uh, a lot of photographers then went in at the same time these lawsuits were going on and said, well, what about the pictures in these books that are being scanned too? Uh, They tried to kind of piggyback on the, uh, and this is the ASMP, the American Society of Media Photographers, I think, tried to piggyback onto that lawsuit um, that the authors were doing to get Google to acknowledge that um, some royalties would probably be owed to the photographers as well. The judge threw that out and said, you know, that's, that's a different thing. You need to bring your own lawsuit. And so that's really what this is, is that um, the photographers are now having to go through the same process that the authors went through of, of sort of laying claim to stuff that Google scans and puts up on the web. Now, isn't Google arguing that this is fair use? Uh, I don't really think they are completely taking that tact because you know that doesn't work when you scan an entire book uh, and put it online. And I don't think that really works when you scan uh, a book that contains photos that are licensed and put that online as well. I, I think it's more a matter of Google has sort of put a stake in the ground that, that you know they're most interested in just getting content up, up on the web because then they can link, add advertising revenue to it, and. Uh, I think they're just sort of letting the courts then decide at what level they have to provide some sort of uh, compensation to the people whose images they're using.
0: And they're comfortable; they're big enough they can afford they can afford to just like let's just argue it. We'll argue our side, you argue your side, have, and we'll see where it lands. Pockets.
1: Joseph, where I mean, as a photographer, say you, you have a book published, and uh, one of your images lives in the book, and Google decides that they want to scan it in to make it available to the public and throw some ads around it, and not give you any of that money. Um, you okay with that?
3: (laughs) I would have to say no. (laughs) Computer says no, no, mean that's that's the
1: crux, right? I mean, unless I'm missing something, well, it's
3: licensing, right? I mean, if I license an image to a publisher or to an author, whoever I license it to, it's for a very specific use. And it's generally for a specific number of books that can be printed and published. Mm -hmm. Um, if electronic distribution was not part of that original agreement, which obviously it wouldn't have been for any of these older books,
2: then yeah, that's a problem because that's outside of the license. Yeah. So I'll, you know, I'll I'll take the the Google's uh, devil advocate. And point I knew of view. you would, Ron. I knew you. Would. Well, and I don't necessarily agree with this point of view, but I'll go ahead and throw it out there. You know, what what about a book that is no longer in print? So you can't go buy it. So you're not getting any any revenues from it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's your feeling about it not being available anywhere? You know, unless you happen to go dig through some stack at a used bookstore, versus being online with a credit that includes your name. Uh, where potentially somebody could find you, and even more potentially, at some point there could even be some money uh, returned to you because somebody purchased a, a version of this book, or Google got some ad revenue off of it. Right. Well, that, that's a lot of potentials, and you know, potentials don't put food on the table, right? You,
3: you need to get paid for your work. And just like, like if that. the publisher decided to republish the book, they go, you know what? We see a demand for this book. We're going to reprint it. They would have to come back and relicense it, assuming that they, had you know, they'd already passed their original uh, licensing agreement, they would have to come back and pay the photographer for that. So why should this be any different? Google is acting as a publisher. They're publishing digitally. That's the only difference. They're just not publishing it in print. They're publishing digitally, but it's still publishing.
0: But the, one thing, the one thing I have to say is that I, uh, I do find that our copyright... I was talking to someone who's managing... They're working on copyright rules in, in a country in Africa. And I was like, just you know, take a look at what we're doing. Don't necessarily do the same thing. Because it's it's a mess right now, and 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 all of this has been was actually fairly organized until the mouse, until Mickey Mouse came out. Where (laughs) then we decided that everything is perpetual, and and the and the thing is, is that it used to be with patents, with copyrights, and everything else. There was a point, there was a period of time that you had access. You know that before it became, uh, you know, basically open source. I mean, the reason that we do, the reason we do Shakespeare, uh, the reason we do a lot of the older plays like. uh, you know all, all these older plays that were written in the in the you know a uh, hundred years ago or eighty years ago was because those are no longer covered and so so high schools and so on and so forth can actually uh, use them yeah The issue is is that there we have to decide what normalizes all of this is we decide okay here 's let 's say fourteen years because that 's a two seven year terms is a tip i think I believe if I remember correctly is kind of the typical patent. Um, process if you haven't published it or you haven't done anything with it for 14 years and you haven't registered it and you haven't done anything to protect it for 14 years i think that you should just go into the you know because uh, it's damaging us culturally <laughs> to not allow to just have all the stuff get you know pushed into the into the pipe you know we're now i think it's 80% of all the movies you know in before 1950 are gone like you know they're, they're just gone, all that stuff is gone, exactly yeah, and the and reason that, is the reason that they're gone is because there was no money to keep them going because by themselves they were worthless, yeah. you know there was nowhere to, for it to go because it wasn't making any money and and that's a huge part of our cultural history that is now no longer around because of the, the this orphaned works thing that that um uh, that is oftentimes you know talked about uh, Lawrence Lessig talks about this a lot, yeah. and so the idea is that in an orphan work, and I do believe I understand photographers i mean I have pictures that i've taken mm-hmm. <laughs> that that mm-hmm. i want to maintain mm-hmm. but i understand that as a photographer it is my responsibility to manage that copyright mm-hmm. and so the thing is is i think that 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 both book sellers and photographers need to be accountable i believe that they should be absolutely protected but they should be accountable how can, do you
1: how do you protect that though you, know? you
0: register the photo you know the mm-hmm. thing is is i i believe that that that, that if you want does that go i mean
1: because 'cause, you, cause you, no you, photo, cs5
0: but right I mean, now but, they can content yeah.
1: aware fill they can change the photo is it theirs then you know no no well the thing the, is there's is that, a lot of lines in there
0: i understand but right now everyone just says well if i take if it came out of my camera i own it for the rest of my life mm-hmm. my whole thing is unless
1: is that, somebody runs blur on
0: it and now it's theirs i understand <laughs> but the, the the issue is i mean but but the, the the thing is is we could be a lot more strict about that yeah. if we were more strict about how the you, know, the, the you get into this whole um if we were more strict about how photographers manage their how Average per- people manage their copyright mm-hmm. and say right, you have you, to do something to manage it. If you don't manage it, it's not yours. You know, the yeah, thing is, now is that you you're,
2: now you're, asked, you're suddenly putting the burden on the photographer. I mean, the great thing about copyright law right now is that if you took the pic- picture and you publish it, then you own it, right? You don't have to do anything else, uh, and, and you know you're not, not going to have to proactively go out and register something. And, you know, it, it may sound like it's not that much of a burden, but if you take... Thousands of photos, you know, tens of thousands of photos, and there's a process you have to go through for everyone.
0: No, no. I, I, what I would say, I don't think you need to do that. But I, I'd say that if the photo hasn't been used for some period of time, the photographer needs to decide: I want to keep this active or not. You know, the thing is, is that if you you can't be just, it's going to be yours forever, and and because the thing is, is things actually just disappear that way because there's no money to support it. There's no money yeah, to actually and keep I,
2: track I, of it. It's true, and I, and I should make the point that I mean, you know, most of this copyright stuff typically is not like a patent where there's, you know, seven years or seven plus seven, it's a life of the artist. No, I, I was seven. talking
0: about patent law. Yeah.
2: Right, I know, and it, and it kind of... Which made sense I, when they wrote that, it. And, you know, and that's why I, I, I wanted to make that point, though, because you kind of went back and forth a little bit, and I wanted to make it clear that most of these laws are, for copyright, tend to be post, you know, death of the artist kind of thing before they start to expire. But I think it's a really excellent point that, you know, you, you can say... I want to have control over all my media, but at some point, if a book is completely out of print uh, and disappearing, you know, don't wouldn't you want it to be
0: yeah. rescued by Google as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and the thing is, and, there's and a lot of gray area in there. If you if you had photos, I mean, the, the thing is, is that I think that patents, for instance, is a good example of. You know, it was, there is a little bit of effort that is required to manage all of that. <laughs> you know? and, no. and, and I think that there's not, you know, if this is your business, then that, that effort should be required. I mean, the reason we don't patent it, the reason I so don't patent everything. So punish ignorance. In, what?
1: Punish ignorance. Because you didn't know that you should do create a, B a little C, structure.
0: you're going to lose the shots. Well, create a little structure around it. That's yeah. all. And, and, and I, I totally get that it, the, from the moment you shot it for the next, for a certain amount of time, I think it should just be yours. Yeah. You know, and as soon as it's published, it's yours. But after that, I think that the estate or the photographer has to do something. Otherwise, it just, it, this is going to become, as we become content machines, which is what's actually happening, this just gets, this is going to become more and more of a problem because there's just immense amounts of, of content that we don't know who owns it anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem is, as we get to a point where we don't know. Like I, you know, I've wanted to do stuff with old stuff from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't find the copyright holder. Mm. You, know, like, so I, you can find them, but <laughs> No, no, I can't I can't You don't know where they are. You don't no, know no, who you, they you are. You go online, are. you call people, you do this stuff, and you can't figure out who owns it. And it's not that it wasn't particularly popular. It was sure. you, you you literally it was popular in the sixties and now it's no longer valuable and You're it's some it's tracks. sitting somewhere and, and and the thing is is that I want to do something with it, but I can't. I can't touch it right now. And my whole right. thing is is that if you I think that if you make a reasonable if people reg- have to register and then I make a reasonable if I go to the registry Mm-hmm. and say is this registered and i don't find it i can use it you know and it's older than a certain i can use it unless someone calls me and says not to
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and and the, and the, and the reality is 95 percent of the time no one will ever call this week in patents anyway but i, I just think that <laughs> i you know i know that it's 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 a little bit what not a lot of photographers believe this and scott would definitely disagree with me yeah and i think some people on this job and right, Army lawyers, but, but, would, but my but my yeah. whole thing is is that it's just it it, it it it's actually taking stuff away from our culture to allow things to just die on the vine yeah. and disappear because there's no, there's nothing to be. And, and having a company like Google absorbing all of it. And there's a lot of things about Google that scare me.
1: But see, that was the other thing. So that was the other thing I was going to bring up. Uh, and I'm going to try to get the uh, Eugene Mopsik. He's the executive director of the ASMP, ASMP on. Uh, so I'll, I'll put out an email to him later. See if he can come on and clear all this stuff up. But uh, a slight segue, a slight tangent on this is with all this apple google stuff uh it, for me personally it, it's it 's starting to seem like you know the the i 'm starting to see not that i i don 't love google and i 'm st- I still use them for everything and i 'm using Google Docs right now to look at the show notes um but the do no evil thing is starting to fade. A little bit. And I'm starting to see them as a company rather than just a – rather than an entity that's in it for me and profit is secondary. I'm starting to see the the other side of it. Well,
0: and I think think we need to have – we need to have ASMP on. Mm -hmm. We also need to have Google on. Yeah. And we need to have Larry Lessig on. Yes, and that's the that's the conversation that needs yeah. to happen, yep. you know, and, and we can we can have those have those three people on. We'll, we'll work on trying to get those those guys on. Mm-hmm. And and that's a conversation that I'd like to hear. Do no evil.
1: Do no evil. All right. Let's move on, guys. Uh, Assistance. So Joseph, I think of of us of the people on the show, you're probably one of the few folks that have actually hired an assistant on a photo job. Um, there's a uh, a PDN 2010 assistant survey that essentially says that they're not really getting paid a whole lot. They're getting paid around, I think the average was 31 six last year for assistance. Is that right? I mean, what would when, when Joseph, when you hire someone to help you on a shoot, what are you generally paying them? It's usually a few hundred
3: bucks a day. I mean, it depends on, on two, what's going on.
1: right? Yeah, that's what it says in the article, 230 bucks. Yeah, there you go. Yeah,
3: two dollars $300 a day. I mean, it obviously depends on you know where you are, what part of the world you're in, and, and what you're requiring of them. But yeah, that's about average.
1: Yeah, and that's for an 8 it's not, day? It's not, you
3: don't make a lot of money as an assistant. There's no question about that. Um, you know, you're there to learn. It's, uh, you know, obviously everybody has to put food on the table, but it's kind of where you start.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Ron, have you ever hired an assistant?
2: Uh, not as a photographer, but you know it goes to the bigger question of uh in a lot of these sort of creative in- industries especially people will come in at a relatively low wage uh and try to work their way up and I don't have a problem with that i think that the the issue is that there's a lot of room for abuse here uh and a lot of room where people you know will come in and get you know paid zero uh and in some situations even that may be fine uh but i think It is something that needs to be looked at because, like I said, there can be a whole lot of abuse going on there. And I think the other thing I would say is that it's probably up to the people taking these jobs to know that they should be able to walk away from them at any point in time, too, and not sort of feel like, well, I committed to doing this, but I didn't realize that the working conditions were going to be so terrible or, you know, whatever. I think that part of the burden is on people being able to walk away from some of these jobs, too yeah no
1: yeah i totally agree and i i agree with the, the you're gonna you're gonna get paid less to learn we have this i think we talked about this with katherine hall when she was here we talked about the whole idea of uh you know being paid peanuts in order for the the baubles of knowledge that you get well i mean i, Go
0: ahead. I that's how i've gotten into every industry is is uh is working for free,
1: selling yourself into slavery and working and (laughs) working and working working,
0: and and working, (laughs) working through my, I mean, you know, the thing is, Alex was a gladiator at some point. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I got a couple scars over the right shoulder and everything else. Alex, Spartacus, yeah, but but the thing is, is that it is, it's an easy way. And I would never, I have to admit that I would never want people to take away that opportunity from when I, when I was growing up because I, I love the fact that there was an opportunity for me to sweep floors at a radio station, you know, Mm -hmm. or do, you know, whatever it is. Uh, is figure out ways to get my foot in the door and then treat it like a $100 an hour job, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and move through the food chain. And and, and the thing is, is that people who miss that opportunity, it's a big deal. Now, you have to pick the right people, like, you know, pick the right people to assist. And, and the thing is, is you, you would assist for some people and they're, they're kind of, it's all work and no no training. And But rarely do you get no training on a set. You know whether it's a set or a shoot or whatever rarely do you not learn anything <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if you didn't learn if you didn't get the lesson that was more your fault than than the person around you because sure. just watching the process is something that is that is valuable and so um i think that it is a uh, you know a lot of people talk about this you know that like it's like this travesty or whatever but you're at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, you're at the bottom of the food chain. You're trying to work your way in, and the thing is, is that, um, and all I can say is that that's how I've gotten into every industry, mm-hmm. you know, and every, and you know, and, and and I think that that is a, it's a real, you know, it's when you look it's at it, they only make thirty thousand dollars. It's not like they're gonna if they're working the rest of their life as a camera assistant. There's something wrong with them. Yeah, yeah. but where's the, where's the line <laughs>
2: between an, where's the line between an unpaid assistant and the minimum wage law? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's well above minimum wage, though. Uh, well, I mean, uh, no, and I said, but where's the line between an unpaid assistant and the minimum wage law? An intern.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it usually an intern. You, you, there's a whole bunch of rules around internship programs and and so on and so forth that you have mm-hmm. to kind of you know figure out. relate and that's it goes, state by state. It goes
1: paid assistant, right. intern,
0: uh, indentured servant. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just downhill and, and, from there. And what I, I guess what I'd say is that a lot of times there, you know, it, it all depends on. I mean, I I definitely worked in in situations where I would it was technically not legal th- mm-hmm. to be an intern in that in that area. And it didn't matter to me. All all it meant to me is I didn't have as much competition because everyone was. Uh, you know, no one else was competing because it was it wasn't paid.
1: Yeah, you know this
3: this thing though about being at the bottom of the totem pole, where the, you're just getting into the business. It's not even just there. I mean, there's always somebody better than you, right? There's always somebody that you can learn from. And I've gone on shoots where I'm not getting paid at all, and I just want to be there to be a part of it to see what's going on and to learn something. There's always something to learn, no matter where you are in your career.
1: Yeah, well, today today is a whole different world, right? I mean, because Back in the old days you there was no internet and you had to you had to do that stuff. But now you can get a you can get a really good head start by just going online and Yeah, but there's there's no
3: replacement for being on agreed, a set of agreed, shit, agreed. right? Agreed. But and, I'm saying
1: you can get a head start and get the fundamentals, whereas before you had to go have somebody teach you, okay, this is light and this is how it does this. Now you can you can learn that stuff on
0: your I own. I didn't go I didn't study radio engineering. Um I I just swept floors. You know, oh. instead of spending, you know, ten grand on on uh you know, on an education that way, I simply just walked in and swept floors. But and and did, you,
2: did you sweep floors for free or for minimum wage? Free. Yeah. See, and that that's where
0: you get into was, that gray area, though. Mm-hmm. And I was. How old were you? I was uh, nineteen.
1: Okay.
0: Right. And I and I I swept floors for free. I DJed for free when I first got started. You know, I mean, I was on I was on air, like Saturday morning show host for free. You were that guy. What? Yeah. The thing is, is to me it was like free free jobs is like easy for me. Yeah. And I and what I did is I worked. I had all kinds of weird jobs that worked around all the things that weren't paid. Mm-hmm. Um. And and to me it was great that that other people weren't willing so to you do were that. Basically
1: using the you were using the drug dealer metaphor in order to get jobs. You were giving it to them free, <laughs> and then they got used to you, and then you started charging. No. Them.
0: No. 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 Because no, it was it was it was that I I um. It was just that I, you know, it gets into that whole uh, I was willing to do what everyone wasn't, everyone else wasn't willing to do. Yeah. And I was told. Do you you think that should be legal? Yeah, absolutely. You do? I absolutely think it should be legal. I think that it's my choice as to whether I want to be accountable for that or not. You know, so the thing is, is that I don't think that there's any, I don't want anyone to tell me whether I'm allowed to work or not. And believe me, I've been on unions where they have tried to do that and I don't handle that very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can manage my own, you know, thing is, is that we're all. Independent human beings. (laughs) You know, we can decide whether we're going to work for someone or
2: not. It's easy to say that, but that's not always necessarily the case. And you know, and if you're saying free should be okay, then what about you know ten cents an
0: hour? Should that still be legal? If you're, when I was learning, it didn't matter. The money didn't matter to me. You know, the thing is, I wasn't making money with that job. But
2: you're in You're that's a unique situation. I mean, the point I'm making is that there are a lot of people who. Uh, you know, may have nothing to do or, you know, have, have no job. And so they would be willing to work for 10 cents an hour kind of thing. But at some point that becomes, it, it does cross that line, you know, to indentured servitude almost, doesn't it?
3: I think there's a difference between taking 10 cents an hour and working for free, right? Free, you're either a volunteer or you're interning. There's a set, you probably have a contract in place, maybe. Um, yeah. But the point is, that it, it's, it's, it's a known thing. I'm not getting paid. I'm here for the experience. When you start taking 10 cents an hour, now you're you're getting paid crap, and the that's, compensation.
0: That's is difference. the education, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah.
0: Right. Well, and, and, and as a, the uh, as said, for me, I think it's it, it totally worked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, and I was told by many people around me mm-hmm. that people were taking advantage of me all the way to the point where I was working on Star Wars.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> so right. so and,
0: and, and when I right. got to work at ILM I was being when I got to Lucasfilm I was being taken advantage of and then when I was at ILM I was being taken advantage of and, and you, then, you know, were the, getting paid there right what you were getting paid there right no I was but no. how did I get there I got there by working minimum, minimum wage jobs and, 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 and stuff for free and tons of spec work and tons of it's fine like I, I can get we can all talk about whether we, people should have to do that or whether they shouldn't but I will say that there are a lot of people like I thought that I was unique and special until I got to Lucasfilm and ILM and found a whole bunch of other people that got there doing the same thing. Yeah, and, and so the thing is, is that it, it is uh, you know, and and I did it by I mean I would wait tables, you know, when I wasn't doing that. This is, or I this would, is starting
1: to sound like a in my day story.
0: No, but it's <laughs> it's still the, the the thing is, is that it it is um, it's still the way to get in. Yeah. Yeah, it's still I the way to, the easiest way. I mean, the thing is, is you can go to school and you can do all this other stuff. And, and that's a lot. That's a big expense. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a college education. I didn't finish college. Yeah. You know, I didn't have any degree that said I should do it or shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have I, I also didn't pay $60,000 or $100,000. I didn't have all that loan sitting on top of me. Mm-hmm. What I had was time. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, is that and, and the thing what I do believe is that you should never be. I think that sending out your resume, and your portfolio and all that stuff is a waste of time. I'll just say that right right now. Like mailing it all out to everyone yeah. is just a waste of time. Yeah. The thing is, is that what how you how I get work anyway is is by I get work by working with other people. I do work if, whether it's for a nonprofit or it's doing spec for somebody else or it's doing something, and, and I mostly follow my interests. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, and people offer me. You know, I got offered last week. Would you like to go to the flight line in Ellis? Nellis Air Force Base oh, nice. and shoot um these these things being loaded onto an F fifteen. Was it paid? <laughs> was it paid? No. It was an yeah. opportunity for me to go play at right. Nellis Air Force Base and yeah. shoot and shoot stuff. You know, so the thing is, is that and if I had sit there and said, Well, I need to make I need to make fifteen hundred dollars a day and I'm gonna bring all this rigging and all this stuff, they would have been like, Oh, that's okay. You know, it was just it was you know it's an opportunity to sit on the on the flight line mm-hmm. which was I'm going to post some of the photos. It was really fun. Very cool. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, so it was... Uh, the point is is that, is that you know, we can get into these rights issues and we can get into what people should do and shouldn't do. But the thing is, is this is the fastest way into the, in any industry. Any path, industry that's skill-based. Well, it, it, it's path of least resistance. You don't have to do it. If you're listening, you don't have to do it. You don't have to go down that path. And you're, you're competing against people like us that will.
1: Speaking of the path of least resistance... Our guest today is John P., mm-hmm. and uh, he is the CEO of Wupra, and the path of, of least resistance is that he created a, the company that allows you to <clears throat> add a little bit of code to your website and do real-time tracking of the visitors and actually even open up chat windows and chat with them. I think I did that to you, Joseph. You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were <laughs> on my blog, and I saw you come in because it was like, there's somebody from Pasadena on my blog, and I opened up a chat window and said, hi, Joseph. <laughs> 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 well, Anyway, their service is amazing. Uh, check it out and listen to this interview because we, we talked about um, not so much analytics. Oh, we did get into that a little bit, but more of how can photographers optimize their web presences so that they can compete in this age where everybody has a web presence and Google is is the indexer. And then also... With the age of, or, or the decline, some say, of Flash and the the uprising of these iPhones and iPads, which don't support Flash, what can photographers with these Flash-based websites do to combat that or be make sure that they're viewable on all sites? So, let's give it a listen. I'm here with John P., and I call him John P. because... I just can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> Nobody can. So John P. is the CEO of a company called Woopra. And Woopra is making waves all over the internet right now because they are they're basically reinventing. I'm going to speak for you, Doug, because I'm, I'm going to take it from my perspective. You guys are reinventing the way that people are looking and consuming analytics and kind of making them glossy and consumable. So thank you for that. And thanks for coming on the
4: show. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm a huge fan. Oh, really? Cool. I'm just nervous. I can't believe I'm talking to the great <laughs> fan, Johnson. Oh, here we go. Yeah, he's laying on thick now, ain't
1: he? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is cool. So I've been playing with Gary. Actually, Kelly Lewis turned me on to, to Woopra. Kelly Lewis I, turned
4: everybody on.
1: Yeah, well, she turned me on to Woopra. Nice oh, that, oh on. On to yeah. yeah. <laughs> a family show. Come on. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and I I haven't looked back. I mean, it's uh, it's it, what's what's the best way to describe it? If you're you if you're the CEO, you are the CEO of the company and you're in, you're explaining this to someone and they haven't heard of it before. Well, how do you describe it?
4: Well, let me not describe it as a CEO. Let me describe it as a user because I use Woopra myself. And wo- what Woopra is is a real-time a monitoring solution for your website it allows you to see how many people are on it where are they coming from what are they doing you know right now as we're talking i've actually got Whooper running on a different computer and my site is just getting crushed uh, there's like 700 people on the site and the reason i know that is because woopra is telling me that and it's telling me where they're coming from and what they're doing and uh, uh you know it 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 just changes the way that you you think about your website and the way you interact with it and with with the people that are visiting it.
1: It's basically changed my blog into crack.
4: So now it's <laughs>
1: now whenever I go to my blog and I write a post or if I tweet and try to drive people to go look at a post that I written, uh, written I've got the I've got the Woopra interface open and I can see on a war games type map that People from all over the world are hitting my site in real time. I can see where they're coming from. I can see what browser they're on. I can see what 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 uh, hardware they're you're hitting me on. What resolution <laughs> they're using, all this stuff. And it's like it's like it reminds me of day trading. Remember back when people were like day trading and, and hitting reload on E Trade to see if they see what their net worth was from second to second. It's the same thing. Only it's like real time. It's crazy.
4: And, you know, I think what Wooper what does is appeals to two different aspects of, of us individually. You know, first, first of all, let's, let's just go ahead and admit that there is some ego aspect that it appeals to. I mean, seriously, you know, if you if – You're you talking just, to me, right? You're talking to me. <laughs> all of us. All of us. If you, you just spent all this time and energy and poured your heart into the work of creating a blog post – Now, when you release it into the wild and you try and go and tell people, you know, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, you know, and then you see the people coming. There's this emotional um, uh, release. You know, you you feel good because it's like, oh, thank God my work is not being ignored. Exactly. Yeah. There is an ego portion to it and i think it's important that we don't ignore that we, you know just embrace it and say it's good it's my reward for doing some work
1: and it's also i mean it's also for me it's also because um, I'm, I'm a student of of internet marketing marketing and marketing in general so it's it's like a live ab test i can see where everyone's going based immediately on my actions you know, as a photographer, I can see, hey, people are looking at this image right now. Oh, they must like that. Maybe I'll do more of that, <laughs> kind of
4: thing. And not only that, there are other things that that people. You know, this tool is so relatively new, um, especially to most people. It's new in general to the world. So we are, as a community of Wooper users, still learning to get better uh, acquainted with how how it can improve our 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 sites and our actions. But individually, it's very new for for people who are just, you know, have only had it for, let's say, less than a year. And so there are things that you learn as you continue using it. And for example, let me ask you this. You said, you know, you'll put out a – you'll create a blog post and put out a tweet, right? Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that because you can watch with Wupra you can make determinations about which time or which day are better for response when you tweet?
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. Because, you know, and and one thing that that Trey Radcliffe, who's been on the show, um, told me, one of his tips is, tweet twice because you know this 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 rumor that the earth is round <laughs> means means that some people are probably
4: sleeping when you tweet the first time so you might want to tweet again and hit them and you can see it you know it's plain as day and also remember twitter you know since it since we're talking about twitter it's a it's like a fire hydrant you know you can only you can only drink from it so much it's it's just this constant stream and so a lot of people may be paying attention. Right now, or you know, if you're like me i I follow you know a certain number of people, and when I decide oh, i'm going to go check on Twitter, I start reading and I kind of go back and i'll go back a few hours and then after I've had my fill, I stop mm-hmm. and then there's a big gap that I miss, so yeah, if you tweet more than once, as long as you don't just sit there and hammer it and back to back and do all that stuff, um, I think that you can you can send the same exposure to to your your user com- community without them feeling like you really are saturating them. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So, so here's, here's a question for you. And this is one of, this is the question that popped into my head when I first learned about you guys, um, was, Hey, I already have Google analytics installed on my blog. Why do I need something else on there? And, and and then when I installed it, I was like, oh, okay, this is why. <laughs> <And> then, but <laughs> then I was thinking, why doesn't Google just build this? You know, so explain that sort of how is all that working together and, and why you decided to jump into this seemingly already crowded and entrenched field.
4: Yeah, that is one of the biggest uh, questions that we get asked. Well, there, you, you asked actually two or three different questions kind of combined into one. But, I always do that. I'm just which playable. is great, which is great. <laughs> one of the big questions there that you asked was, you know, how is WooPra really different from Google Analytics? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you kind of you hit the nail on the head when you said you figured that out the minute you actually used Woopra. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes very readily apparent. But um, just to uh, kind of touch on a few of the other differentiators, first of all, Google Analytics is a um, a, a tool that allows you to see. Tomorrow, what's happening today? So um, you, you're, you install this little JavaScript on your website, on your web pages, and then every time someone visits it, Google keeps a little count. And then tomorrow, when you come and look at it, you can see, ah, oh, yesterday, so and so many people visited my blog, etc. Well, what Woopra does is very, very different. Instead of just kind of racking up this count and then showing you tomorrow, we have an entirely different architecture that, that consists of these machines that we call engines, which are gather. They do two things. They gather the, the inbound statistical data and they also allow our customers to connect directly to them with a a client application like a desktop uh application that you run on your um laptop or your you know desktop machine Mm -hmm. so what happens you can think of it like it's a real client server kind of environment where going to check your statistics on google means you pull up you open a web page and they generate a static web view for you and you have to refresh it periodically and you know things don't change very much. Where Woopra is more like almost being connected to a mainframe. Think of it like we've got a big Cray supercomputer, and we give you a piece of software that you run on your desktop applic- you know your desktop computer, and it allows you to connect to our supercomputer and watch what's happening in real time.
1: That's crazy.
4: Okay, now it also does a few other things that are very unique that that other you know, you just can't get in other places. Um, for example. Have you noticed? Have you done this on your blog yet? Are you using a plugin like the WordPress plugin that allows you to track your individual visitors by name? No, I'm not. Are you using WordPress? I am using WordPress, yes. Good Lord. You've only put the JavaScript in your footer, but you're not using the plugin? Correct you are missing out my friend <laughs> you do, need- do tell do tell <laughs> okay so what you need to do is you need to go and get the Wupra wordpress plugin and drop that into your wordpress plugin directory and activate that what it will do is fundamentally change how you're viewing your stats yet again because all of those people that come and leave a comment on your blog Woopra will automatically tag them with their username that they give you when they leave a comment. <laughs> you get out of here. That's cool. In you see them by name. You can then click on their name and look up their entire history of all their visits. You can see every page that they've ever – you know, viewed. You can see even where they were originally fer- referred to your website. So we, we're really bringing it down and making it extremely, you know, personal.
1: So then, that. So then, the next question um, is, how do? So I know how it works with WordPress. You know, you can install the plugin and and get going, or install it in your footer, or the code in your footer, and, and you're, you're tracking. You're up and running. But if you're not using WordPress, say you're using something else, what is what can Wooper do for the those legions of people out there that are running
4: non WordPress type blogs? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, the the three big ones are going to be WordPress, Joomla, and Drupal. And there are plugins for all of those. On top of that, we've got people who have developed plugins for I think something like seventeen additional CMS platforms.
1: Oh wow. Okay.
4: So um. The, these this is all volunteer type stuff. You know, one of the things about Whoopra that's so fantastic. I think we have the best user community of pretty much any kind of service you can name on the internet. You know, we have never spent a single dime on advertising. It's been one hundred percent word of mouth since day one, and we have over a hundred thousand users.
1: That's crazy.
4: So, all of these plugins have been developed by our user community. And so, you can get them for just about any platform you want. And we do have a, um, a list of them on the, on the Woopra website. There's like, you know, if you go to woopra.com, um, you can sign up, and there's, there's a page that says downloads, and, and you can get any of these plugins there. Now, if you're more advanced, let's say you're an enterprise level user and you have some big custom built system. And maybe you've got your system all integrated and tied into uh, a big CRM platform and, you know, you've got all these folks going. Well, you can actually use our API and our developer guide to tie WooPra directly into your back-end systems and they can just pass data back and forth. Now, that's a little higher end and we're not going to talk much about that today, but we we even offer, you know, these advanced services the for the very large uh players out there.
1: That's cool. So for the small guys, for the photographers, you know, like me, I have a you know, I go out and shoot, I have a blog, I want to track that, or you know, even the larger folks that have commercial presences and all that. The name of the game for everybody generally on the web is driving traffic to their blog. I mean, because if you you build the world's best blog and nobody knows it's there, you're going to get crickets, right? So, that's right. Th- what tips can you give folks for getting that traffic flow to come and actually look at the stuff that they've slaved so hard to put online?
4: Well, I think this is the key. You know, um, we, can, we can put Woopra on a website and monitor. But if, if you're monitoring nothing, then who cares, right? <laughs> so, it's easy math, right? Big Zed Zero. <laughs> zero is still zero no matter how pretty it looks, okay? So really, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how how we're gonna get people more traffic. Because you know, I'm a photographer too. I'm not as good as Trey Ratcliffe or, you know, Scott <laughs> Kelby or all these other guys. Yeah. But um but I, I do dabble. And I love to share my photographs. It makes me feel good when people see them and appreciate them, um, and and I'd like for more people to see them. So let's talk about some of the ways that um, that we can go about getting more exposure individually. And the first thing that I that I want to mention, and I and I kind of. You know, I've lectured on things like this in the past, and one thing I should probably mention: I, I'm going I'm to tell you a few points that come out of a lecture that I did recently uh, for the local WordPress uh, user group here in Dallas. Okay, and and we actually filmed this lecture, and it's available at onemansblog.com forward slash win or die. <laughs> okay so no pressure no pressure no pressure okay nice and relaxed win or die (laughs) so the first thing that i want to point out and this is for all the photographers out there that is i am your competition now you know we can all be friends and we can go eat dinner together we can hang out we can go on photo walks and do all that fun stuff but at the end of the day you are going to take this content you've created and you're going to put it out there on the internet and you are going to try and get people to look at your content instead of my content. And let me tell you why it's important to think of it this way. Because there are articles that I've written on my website that I've spent 20 hours on a single article. Now, what that means is, if you're not willing to put the time and energy into showcasing your content, how are you going to compete? I mean, really, if I'm, let's assume that we're equally good writers. Let's assume I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. Mm-hmm. Let's assume I, we're, we're, you know, both talented photographers and things like that. If I'm willing to spend 20 hours on it and you're only willing to spend one, how are you going to beat me? Yeah. You're not, okay? And and you know, just to to emphasize this point of why it's worth it, you know, you might say, Well, why would you spend twenty hours working on a single blog post? Well, you know how I told you just a little while ago that right now my blog has, you know, six or seven hundred people on it? Yeah. Well that article is one of those articles I spent a long time writing, and it was written over two years ago, and it's been read over one and a half million times. Now, I know it's not a photo, but we're going to talk about why that matters, okay?
1: Yeah, that's what I want to hear. I mean, what, what magic sauce did you sprinkle under that article to get the, the Google spiders to go crawl all over it?
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, several things happened. First of all, that particular article was one that kind of appealed to everyone. It was generally appealing. And so what I would say is you know, we all like to do different things. Some of us take photos, for example, that are very eclectic. You know, that, that appeal to a certain niche. That's great. And, and you should continue to exercise your artistic ability in that manner. But what you also need to do is think about how can I do some stuff that has more mass appeal? Okay. That particular article was not one of my f- favorite articles I've ever written. It wasn't one I had the most fun with, but it was one I knew would appeal broadly.
1: I, mean, I know people are wondering uh, over a million hits. What was the name of that article? The name of that
4: article is How I Would Hack Your Weak Passwords.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
4: <laughs> now I have to go read that. So. And I think it's at onemansblog.com forward slash
1: passwords. There you go. So. Otherwise known as how to get free bandwidth when you're dri- traveling the country. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yes, that is another way. Yes. We can talk about war driving later. Different story. So, um, what I would encourage you to do is think about things like, uh, you know, I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and I went down and I took some pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge. You might say, well, you know, that's like the most photographed thing on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody, want, nobody needs another picture of that. Guess what? They do. I mean it's, there's a reason it's the most photographed thing on earth because everybody wants to see pictures of it. So take a few, okay? Yeah. And then go take some pictures of your other stuff. Now, once you've um, thought about some content that's going to broadly appeal to kind of a mass audience, now what you need to do – and this is very important and this is uh, – drives me insane when I see such beautiful photographers not doing it right, not posting their content right. You go to a, uh, a photography blog and you see all these beautifully laid out f- pictures and you click on one and it pulls up like a larger size and that's it. It's just the picture on the page, no words, no nothing. Guess what? Google cannot index something that it cannot read. Yeah. So the first thing that all of us need to be doing is when we post a photo Or a group of photos, you need to make sure that you write at least two solid paragraphs in the page or in the blog post that you're putting up there that have lots of keywords in them that describe the content of those photos. That's number one. Now, I'm going to tell you number two, which is as big or bigger of a deal and much more of a pain in the butt. If you're going to go and take you know twenty or thirty photos and upload them to a gallery on your blog, what most photographers do is they pull up all these pictures and they resize them and they tinker with them and then they export them, let's say to you know ten twenty four by seven sixty eight size, and they put them in a folder and they upload em- immediately to their website, and they're all named things like image zero zero nine two six dot jpeg. Guess what? what is that? Google does not know what that is. That could be a dog. It could be a piece of candy. It could be anything. You must painstakingly rename every one of those images to a, a keyword-loaded descriptive name.
1: So at the file name level, you need to get Absolutely. in there and reset all that, not just, not just what the link is that points to that file name, the actual file name.
4: The file itself should say goldenretriever.jpg, and the words should be separated by a uh, dash, okay, golden jpeg." Don't get all cute on me. Don't say, you know, Bobby the dog. JPEG. It's it's a dog. Okay, get, get descriptive on me. Yeah. Dog, get cute on me. Okay, keywords are important in the name of the image. Now, once you've uploaded that image, some people are using image. Uh, uh, some people are using automated upload tools like WordPress, for example. WordPress has two different versions. You can edit the code by hand and in, in mess with the HTML, or you can use the WYSIWYG upload editor. What you see is what you get upload editor. Mm -hmm. In either case, once you've uploaded that image, you need to add a title and alternate text to the image. So, for example, in your WordPress, when you upload an image, normally people are not doing the HTML version. They just upload the image and it comes up with a little window. And that window shows you the image you uploaded and has all these little forms. Like title, alternate text, and description. I know it sucks. It takes a lot of time. That's a lot of work because there's a
1: lot of images out there that are named img underscore random number dot right? jpeg.
4: That's, that's right. And you need to go in there, and that image that I just wrote, you know, that image that I renamed to uh, golden dash retriever dot jpeg, now I need to set the title. And the title must say golden retriever. And then the alternate text is going to say golden retriever, and then the description might say something like, "Ah, oh, this is a beautiful. This is my beautiful golden retriever Rex." Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Now here's the deal. All of that stuff, once you submit it, it looks like it's hidden, but it's really not. When the page is generated, Google can read all that. It's hidden in the HTML code. the The actual HTML link will look something like. Um, a h r e f equals golden dash jpeg title equals golden retriever alt equal, alt equals golden retriever what we've just done is taken a simple photo of a golden retriever that would have otherwise been named zero zero dot one dot jpeg and we have loaded it with the keyword golden retriever now when people go on to Google and do a Google image search for golden retriever guess what your photo will appear that's going to rank higher yeah much much higher okay and what that's going to do you know you go image Google image search if you go if you have never used it go use it and see what happens you you pull up Google image search it shows you a page with maybe 30 or 40 images and if you click on one it takes you to the page that that image is embedded in that's right. Yep. Okay? That generates traffic to your site. And guess what? We've got some really talented photographers out there who if you can just get people to come to your site, you know, through any kind of image search, you're going to find that they're sticky. They'll they'll look at that page and be like, "Wow, that is a beautiful photo. Wow, look at these other photos." Okay?
1: Yeah. So then John, what do That's great for the sites that are Traditional, you know, that are HTML or generated on, on the fly by WordPress or some other CMS. But what about those photographers that are using flash-based websites? Because they look so pretty and they can put transitions in there and all that magic. Don't.
4: <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> and why, but they look so good. Why not? They do. They look. They look beautiful. Some of those look really beautiful. And guess what? I can't see any of them on my iPhone. That's correct. How many iPhone users are there? Um, you've automatically a dis- lot. you've automatically I- eliminated mil- uh, millions of a million people, millions of people, a lot of people, okay? Yeah. Also, you've made it nearly impossible for those images ever to get found by Google or any other search engine. They can't search inside of JavaScript. They can't search what they can't read, okay? So, here's the simple solution. Okay? Um there there are some – like, for example, Animoto. I'm sure you're familiar with Animoto. Have mm-hmm. you seen Absolutely. So yeah. I met them the other you – know, a couple of weeks ago I met them at, the, uh, at a show, mm-hmm. and I went and tried out their service. It was beautiful. I took several of my images, and I uploaded them to Animoto. And for those of you who don't know, it takes these images, and it mixes them together in a little blender and puts some music to them and pumps out this little video. It's beautiful. Again, none of that would be searchable. So what I did was I uploaded that little uh, JavaScript-based movie file, which would be the same as a Flash file. Mm -hmm. But in the same page in which I embedded that, I also attached individually all of the images which were included in it. And guess what? All of those images – were treated exactly the way I told you a minute ago. They, they were named appropriately. They were titled. They were you know, alternate text descriptions. They were all there. So Google can still find the page, and when people land on it, the first thing they see is they see the, the the little video. And then you know they can watch that, but if they would rather look at the individual images and see maybe higher resolution versions or grab one, use it as a desktop, they're right there below it.
1: That's an excellent tip. All right. So we know that the world—most uh, people know that the world is kind of shifting towards mobile computing. You know, like you mentioned with the iPhone and iPod Touch and Android devices out there, and now the, the tablet wave is hitting, starting this coming weekend. Um, the as of the recording of this, the iPad has not launched yet, but it's coming up this weekend. It's um, that thing's going to, you know. Hope, presumably, take the world by storm as well. Yeah. So, how should, how does all this stuff, you know, bringing it back to the analytics side, how does Woopra work to help me know that my site is being trafficked heavily by iPhone users or iPad users or Android and that kind of stuff? Can I, can I see that when I'm looking at my my UI?
4: Absolutely. I mean, when, as far as Woopra is concerned, when when Woopra is embedded on your website you see those visitors come in live and you see all this rich data about them. You can see the resolution of the screen they're viewing, for example, uh, which is a good indicator. You can also see the platform they're viewing from. So if they're on a Windows machine or if they're on a Mac or on Linux or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, But what I would encourage people, first of all, I wouldn't worry too much about those things. I mean, it's important to... Make sure that your website is accessible to all kinds of devices. And so, when we look at things like, you know, a highly, you know, beautiful but entirely Flash-built website, it's just not accessible. And not accessible means it's not found. Th- let me put it this way: the bottom line is, my blog honestly looks like crap. Okay, I encourage <laughs> you, don't look, go laugh at my blog. Okay, but guess what? My blog will get 30,000 page views today. It's crazy. It, it, it might not look that great, okay, but it's accessible to anything. If you pull it up on your iPhone, it's going to work. If you pull it up on a BlackBerry, it's going to work. You pull it up on, you know, a, a, a an iMac twenty-seven inch with a really high resolution, it's going to work. It works everywhere, and so because it is accessible, I get more views. Um, so you know, you got to make a decision at some point. You're either going to say. I need the most beautiful website there is or I need more eyeballs. And by the way, I'm not I'm not telling you that one is right. If you're a professional photographer and you primarily have a client base that is one that you cold call on and you want to go and, you know, sit in front of them and show them your portfolio and this is your workflow and you do not use your website to generate inbound traffic and and inbound leads, Maybe what you need is that beautiful flash thing. Wow. But But beware, right? Beware, you're making a sacrifice, right? You're saying that is my purpose for the existence of this site. And so I'm going to ignore everybody else that might stumble upon me and be an inbound warm lead and just go after cold ones.
1: Now is is HTML5 do you think going to going to help alleviate some of that some of the flash woes of Google not being able to look into things is that is that a better, better alternative
4: Oh yes HTML5 is going to be just uh it's going to be w- world changing The problem with HTML5 is we are not there yet Um it is just simply not supported by the browsers that are available on the market and uh we're just we're just way down the road you know
1: so what, so three pieces of advice as we, as we wind this down first, if there's a photographer out there and I know there are a lot of them that are there and I'm one of them, my gallery on my site is, is built in uh, is flash, but even though the WordPress is, WordPress is driving the blog. So what do those photographers, one piece of advice for those photographers that are relying on flash right now to display their images, what should they do tomorrow?
4: Well, the first thing that you should do tomorrow is you should go and take the individual images that are in those flash galleries, and you should go and attach them. Uh, uh, you should rename them and do those things I described earlier, and you should attach them to the page somehow. B- build a little small, you know, kind of uh, gallery type thing at the bottom of that page. Leave your flash thing at the top because it's pretty. That's fine, but you need to attach those other ones. Okay, okay. that's that's number one. All right. Now, number two is. Uh, something we didn't really touch on yet, but number two is how about considering putting those images also on Flickr hmm. and linking them back to your gallery and using some sort of keyword lo- loaded link. Now you have to be a little bit careful because Flickr doesn't want it to look like spam. Okay, yeah, but you can you can put an individual image. And you could put a link that says something like, this image is part of my flower collection <laughs> and make flower collection be a link back to that page, okay? Yep. Uh, flower collection on my personal blog. And that's in the description of the image, right? In the description of the image on Flickr, okay? Mm-hmm. And now, because Flickr has a lot of Google juice, okay? It's got a high page rank and it, it's a high authority site. Sometimes just adding those links from Flickr uh, pages back to your own website will actually bring you more traffic and and they will help inc- improve your performance for those uh, keywords. Okay. Awesome.
1: All right, the next question. One tip for photographers to – increase traffic. I know they can, you know, they do the keywording and and renaming images and all that, but give me something else for photographers to go out and do tomorrow after they do the image thing and their, you know, their site is now being indexed properly. What else should they do to drive traffic to themselves?
4: Social media, social media, social media. <laughs> okay? Twitter, Facebook and social that. media, okay? You you must Okay, I I deal I talk to so many people all over the world all the time and I I always hear people who are like, yeah, I don't get this whole Twitter thing. I don't want to I don't want to follow people and hear what they're having for breakfast. You know what? Those days are long, long gone. Nobody follows someone who tells you what they're having for breakfast. Okay, I don't talk about that. I got a lot of followers and I've got more common courtesy than to bother them with that. I try and put out tweets that are relevant and t- entertaining and informational. So you got to get that out of your mind and you need to get involved now. You're already late to the game, so get on it. Get on Twitter, get on Facebook. You know, one of the things that's surprising is as much as we all talk about Twitter, I've run reports across the entire community of all whooper users and i have seen that in the social media sphere facebook alone sends 52 percent of all traffic to the websites we monitor that one site facebook what bigger than twitter and all the others combined and by the way myspace was zero percent it wasn't even big enough for sending traffic to websites it wasn't even big enough to be rounded up to 1% it was rounded down to
1: 0%. Wait a minute. So you're so okay so i hear i see here a couple of things. MySpace is no longer a player and they've kind of fallen off the the edge of the earth
4: in in terms of sending traffic to your site. It yep. could be that it's very popular but they just stay on MySpace.
1: Yep. So like a closed system like like AOL used to be. Right right. Um and the, Facebook is trumping trumping Google in terms of the traffic that it's sending to individual websites?
4: No, no, no. Sorry. I didn't mean to imply that. Okay. All right. Because I was like, oh, I better
1: go – we'll polish up my fan page right now.
4: (laughs) No, no. What I meant was (laughs) among social networking sites. Okay. Gotcha. When you look at WooPra, when you look at your analytics, you notice we break it down for you into different types of sites. So there's a tab – when you look at your historical data there's a tab that says search engine search engines and you 'll see how Google compares with Bing and all those others okay then there's one that says social networking and there's one that says social bookmarks like delicious for example mm-hmm. and we're, we're so I'm just saying in the social networking category, Facebook is driving more than half of all traffic even though we all talk about Twitter all day if you're ignoring Facebook you're ignoring the biggest traffic sender that you could get. Wow. So you've got to get involved in that. Those are some powerful words right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one other big, big site that people just don't even think about or know about, stumbleupon.com. If you submit your images and your articles to StumbleUpon, they have a community of like 9 or 10 million loyal stumblers. And when you submit your photos and your blog posts there, you can submit them under the photography category – and what happens is people go to "stumble upon," and the site is literally what it sounds like, "stumble upon," that you kind of randomly stumble through things. You click the page to reload, and it just shows you random stuff. But what happens is the things you submit will be shown to a few people, and if they like it, they give it a thumbs up. And the more people that give it a thumbs up, the more it gets presented to more people, and blah 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 blah. And I'll tell you what, on my personal blog, you would be astounded how much traffic I get from stumble upon. Wow,
1: I had no idea. You know, I'm I'm thinking in my head traffic sources, search engines. Not I wasn't really considering Facebook as a traffic engine. I was thinking mostly search engines like like Google, of course, and Twitter. Those are kind of the the two things that generate traffic, and of course, you know, uh, links in from other other websites and that sort of thing.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is why Woopra becomes so important. Okay. Because we all come to the table with these preconceived notions. Here's what I think I need to do to drive more traffic to my website. But the problem is we're all wrong all the time. In fact, we're wrong on a daily basis because whatever you're doing today could change. The results of it could change tomorrow. The, 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 whole, the whole game is shifting around us. Okay, So you need a tool like Wupra and you need to be constantly testing and analyzing and see what happened today. You know, sometimes I'll send out tweets and I'll work really hard on a blog post and, uh, and it's like, I know this is a really good one. I know people are going to be interested in this and uh, nothing happens. It's so disappointing. But you know what? You have to study that. You have to look at the circumstances. You have to see why did that happen? And you cannot do it unless you are monitoring So you must use a tool. If you don't want to use Woopra, fine, go find something. Use Google Analytics at the very, very least. It's not going to give you the same data, but you must, must use and refer to your analytics or you will not make progress. I promise you that. I promise. And, And I have one of the highest traffic blogs on the planet, and I'm telling you from experience it won't work unless you actually actively monitor it. So
1: then how do how do people get started with Woopra? You know now people listening to this maybe sound maybe saying wow that sounds great maybe even a little too good to be true I want to jump in and try it out for myself and put my toe in the water what do, what do they do first?
4: Um, well, it takes about sixty seconds to get Whooper working. I mean it's ri- it's ridiculously easy. You go to Whooper We got a little button over there in the corner that says Sign Up Now. You put in your email address. And um, we send you a confirmation email just to make sure we've got the right email. You click to confirm and, and you log in. Okay. Once you've logged in, you add your website to our system. You just it's going to say add a website. You type in your, your domain and you hit enter. You're done from you're done from the standpoint of of uh, setting up Wupra on on this server side. Okay. Now from there. You you can either use one of those plugins we talked about earlier. So, for example, if you're using WordPress, which is obviously very very um, prevalent in the in the photography blogging community, mm-hmm. you can go to the plugins tab in in your admin control panel and click Add New. Type in Woopra. It'll find that plugin and you click Install and you're done there. Okay. The last step. Uh, or or if you don't use a plug, you we have a little JavaScript, and you just copy that and paste it into the footer, the very, very bottom of your web pages okay once you've installed either the plugin or the JavaScript, which you know is pretty pretty simple, um, you download the desktop application and you log into it and f- I can literally do all of this on a new site in about one to two minutes. Some people might take five to ten, you know. Um, but the minute you've got the JavaScript on your site and you've got your desktop application running on your machine, you are now viewing your live visitors.
1: Now, does does the plug-in or does installing WooPra affect the performance of your site at all?
4: No, not at all. And this is actually a very good um, question because there are some analytics um, packages that you can get that would. For example, there's one called um, Mint, and what it does is it installs kind of a little statistics um, service on your server, and it starts gathering all this data into your own database. And that puts the load of counting things on your own server. If you have a very low... Uh, traffic website, it's not that much, so it's not that big of a deal. But for me, Mint would crush crush me. So the good news here is um, at Wupro, we've got clouds uh, clouds of servers um, often in our data centers uh, that are gathering all the statistics and handling all this additional load. So the there's no additional load put on your server. And from a visitor perspective – all they do is download a little three kilo, kilobyte JavaScript file um, that uh, is almost imperceptible from their from their perspective wow okay
1: and then finally what what are they looking at and or what what 's the cause for this I know there 's a free level and then then it goes up from there what's what 's the bottom line
4: yeah for most people actually it 's free I mean the way we built the service we kind of have. Uh, uh, it's called. You know, some people refer to it like a freemium model. Okay, so there's a there's a level up to which it's free, um, it, and that is if you have about a thousand page views per day or less, you actually don't have to pay for WooPra. Okay, um, y- you will see one advertisement inside the desktop application, which hopefully is relevant and not annoying. Okay. Uh, but that 's that 's all we do for for those users now, if you decide that you would like to get some additional features, like for example, the ability to share your statistics with another person mm-hmm. then you can upgrade to any of our paid plans, which start at a whopping five bucks a month nice and um Uh, They give you a little bit more – a little longer retention on some of the data. They'll let you do a few other things. There's a little chart that shows you. But you still get a full-featured version of Woopra even if you don't need to upgrade. That's awesome. Wow.
1: So Woopra.com, that's W-O-O-P-R-A is where all this stuff is – the action is happening so people can get started there. Where can people go to – well, first of all, before before I get to the close here – Give me that give folks that URL again for the how do I hack your passwords <laughs> blog post.
4: <laughs> that is actually on my personal blog, which is, you know, a silly blog. I just post anything I feel like whatever from day to day. It's onemansblog.com. One all written out. O-N-E-M-A-N-S blog.com. One man's blog.com. And if you use a forward slash Passwords it will get you to that crazy article, but that 's not the only one I have. If you go to my blog and you look down at the very scroll to the very bottom of the page and in the footer, there are a list of articles that I have that have been read well over a million times or over half a million times. so you can see if if you're looking and you're trying to think well, how the heck is he doing this? What is his uh, formula then you know what don't go read those because I need the charity of you reading my post. Go look at them and, and duplicate it. Look and see how long did it take him to do that. What did he do? How did he write that? And duplicate it. Take that deconstruct, – Deconstruct John's blog.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So then where, where are you on Twitter and in the social media verse?
4: Well, on Facebook or Twitter, I'm John Pose, J O H N P O Z. And uh, you know I'm I'm all over the place uh, beside that, but you can just you can just Google John P, and you'll come up at the
1: number one spot apparently,
4: <laughs> right? I will be I will be number one That's- until the Google gods frown upon me and uh, strip me of my crown. I will be number <laughs> one. <laughs>
1: John, thank you so much for coming on this is uh this has been educational and and a little depressing because now I know I have a lot of work to do you
4: do, you do. but 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 it's going to be well worth it thanks for having me on the show oh you you are quite welcome
1: okay that was John P if you want to check him out just google John p like we said in the interview he is uh if you google John P he comes up first not John paul. John P. comes up as the first link in Google. And if you're wondering how you got there, just click through on that link and uh, he'll tell you. He's, uh, he's, as you heard, a really amazing guy. So with that, let's jump into the listener questions. Question number one, I'm going to throw to Ron Brinkman. Take it away, Ron. You're throwing a Nikon question to me? Yes, on purpose. <laughs> but it's just a photography question. I've actually dug
3: into this one a little bit if you don't want to take it, Ron.
2: There you go. I was hoping somebody Chicken. would do what they were talking about. Would jump in there. Look at that. He can't operate unless it's a cannon.
0: <laughs> There's a I leap just, in the path. There's a leap in the <laughs> path.
2: <laughs> well, I'm I'm not a Nikon shooter, and I'm not an iFi user. So, well,
0: there you go. See, see, I, I'm own. not a
3: Nikon shooter either, but I am an iFi user. At least I just bought one, and uh, and so I dug into this. So let me let me read the question. Go for bit. it, start. So, question is from reader Scott Cookenmaster. The question is I have a Nikon D5000 and I just purchased the iFi Pro X2 8 gigabyte card. Will this card be as fast as my SanDisk Extreme 30 meg per second card? And do you have any experience using this with the Verizon MiFi? My plan was to snap a picture, upload it to mobile me, and then view it on the iPad. What are your thoughts? And then there's a second question. We can come back to that. So um, the iFi, well, okay, this first question is is, is it as fast as the SanDisk Extreme? That, I actually can't answer that, but I doubt it. I and mean, those sandisk extremes are pretty darn fast. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess and say probably not on there because there's a lot more going on than just a, a fast memory inside of this card. Um, experience with the Verizon MiFi, uh, again, no, but it's the same idea as hooking it up to connecting it to your Wi-Fi at home, your you know your local Wi-Fi service. So it should work the same. But the last part of the question is the interesting one. My plan was to snap a picture, upload it to Moldme, and then view it on the iPad. So I played with this this morning because it sounded like a lot of fun. And... It does work. I didn't try MobileMe, though, because MobileMe has, believe it or not, a pretty crappy um, iPad experience. It, you don't get to see the pictures full screen on there. So I went through all the different services this morning. I went through Flickr, and I went through um, – uh, what's the Google one? Um, what's
1: the Google Picasso, one? Picasso.
3: Picasso. thank you. And checked out all those on the iPad. And they all have pretty much the same kind of not very good experience. And SmugMug also has a not very good experience. And then I remember that SmugMug actually has an application. So I configured my iFi to upload a picture to my SmugMug account and then opened up the SmugMug app on the iPad. And sure enough, there you can see the image in full screen. Now, I've shot two photos on it. The very first one went up and within about maybe a minute and a half, it was on there, downloaded to my iPad and able to be viewed full screen. Very, very cool. The second picture... Showed up in in SmugMug, but still hasn't shown up on the iPad, and I can't figure out how to refresh it. And I actually threw out a question to SmugMug on Twitter this morning asking, "How do you force it to refresh?" And they still haven't responded. So um, once they figure that out, once they figure out how to force that to refresh, I think at this point that's a pretty good solution. Again, it takes you know maybe a minute and a half, two minutes to get that image up there, but it gives you the opportunity to have those images on your iPad full screen, you know, pretty quickly after you take it. So it's,
1: it's kind of a cool way to go. Nice, very cool. So so. Did you have all this gear or did you have to actually go out and buy it? Like the iFi no, and all I, that? No, I, I bought the
3: iFi not that long ago. Yeah, I had to go out and buy an iPad this morning. No, um, I had that. I bought an iFi a couple of weeks ago because I'm trying to come up with a way to do... Um, uh, it, okay, in Aperture 3, there's a new feature where you can have your JPEGs imported first and then you can import the raw files later and match the raw files to the JPEGs that you want to import. And so I'm... I'm very interested in tethered shooting solutions. And the problem with, well, wired tethering obviously is a pain because it's wired. Being able to shoot wireless in the studio would be really, really interesting. And with the camera that I'm shooting with, the 1DS Mark III, you've got two card slots. You have a CF card slot and an SD card slot. So my idea is that you put the CF card slot in and shoot RAW to that and simultaneously shoot small JPEG to the Wi-Fi card, which then pumps it over to your laptop. And that works great. Uh, The next step is getting that image into Aperture, which there's a script for that, uh, Segoyan over at Apple had done this thing called, um, uh, I forget what it's called, but anyway, there's a script on automator.us that allows you to automatically import images into Aperture. Problem mm-hmm. is it's ignoring the JPEG. So he's taking a look, look at the script for me now to see if it needs to be modified so it imports the JPEGs. Um, but that, in theory, should work great. And then the idea there is that if you're shooting with a client in the studio, you get the small JPEGs going over to the computer really fast. They can review them. You flag the ones that they like, and then... Later on, you can pull in the RAWs and automatically match the, the RAWs to the you know, the picks. So, uh, basically, so,
1: Joseph, can you repeat that? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you should You should definitely write that up as a blog post or record a video or something and throw that I on apertureexpert.com.
3: No, I absolutely will um, once it works. Like I said, I'm still waiting for Sal to get back to me. It's a, an Aperture hot folder, I think is what it's called, and that's the script. It's been around for years that allows you to do tethered shooting into Aperture with cameras that are not supported by tethered. And, again, the idea here is it's wireless tethering. So it is. I, I will write about it once it starts working properly, but I'm still working on that, that step of it.
1: Very cool. All right, guys. We're going we're gonna to jump into the picks of the week now, and uh, let's go with you, Ron. What's your, what's your pick?
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just did not do your homework, did you?
1: I'm ready. I did. I'm ready. I
0: did. Go ahead. You just jumped too fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Go ahead, Alex. So um, my pick of the week is, uh, so one of the things that I get into a lot is wanting to do a couple of things. One is attach a, attach a lot of extra stuff to my camera or attach a light. And, and the problem is the light right over top where your shoe is, where your hot shoe is, a lot of times is not where you want the light. You want it a little off to the side. And it'd be nice to be able, especially as we move into video, it'd be nice to be able to hook another mic there or... A, Add some more things where you need more hot shoes. Mm-hmm. So one of the thing, or more cold shoe, you can cold shoe. I mean, you just have something that's just hooked up. Yep. So there's a cheap little thing that I got for one of our HV20s. It turns out it works great with, with uh, DSLRs. It's called a uh, it's a SEMA video bracket. And um, and what this does is it lets you basically screw in at the bottom of the camera. Is um, you can screw it into the bottom of the camera and have this little handle on the side. Mm -hmm. Now that handle also has two more two more cold shoes, so you can throw a little uh, micro. What I'm doing with it, it's like
1: that old wedding photographer bracket. That's
0: kind of like that, but it's really inexpensive. And and I don't know. I haven't tried to put it on my 5D. I put it on some of my small on my Nikon, my Mm -hmm. little or not my Nikon, but my LX3. Mm -hmm. So I put it on my Panasonic LX3, and it's worked great. And I haven't tried it with a Nikon. I mean with the with the Canon yet. Um, but essentially what you can do is you can attach it and it's like that. It's got a little extra handle and it's got two cold cold shoes on it mm-hmm. and uh, and it doesn't take up the hot shoe that you already have there. And so what you're able to do is add another flash or a light uh, what I'm using is a mic is a, is a, uh, micro, you know, the light panels micro. Yeah. So putting one of those and I want to put a mic on it. so I'm putting that out on the outside, but it's 1195. It's on, it's, you can get it at Amazon and it's just the same. If you just search on Amazon for SEMA video bracket, I uh, will have a, in the show notes, we'll have a, a link, but the, um, uh, it, it, it's a nifty little thing. I just, it was like, well, if it doesn't work, we'll do something with it. But it turns out it works great. And so, and it's cheap and it's, you know, it smells kind of funny, but outside of that, <laughs> I don't know where they make it, but there, there's something about it. Like it has this kind of weird machine smell to it. I haven't figured like out it is. like soylent green. I don't yeah, know, there, know where they Yeah, there's something about it. it there's <laughs> something about it. Like it, I, that's the, my only complaint peep. about it is, is it works great, except I'm just kind of like, what is that smell? It's not bad. It's just different. Oh you know, so God. so I don't know what it is. It
1: good up until that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> right it might have been just that. the one that I bought, but it was, it was interesting. Just, anyways, An Harris Ranch. So anyway, that's the SEMA video bracket. <laughs> All right. Uh, Joseph, what do you got? <laughs> My pick of the week
3: is the Honol light modifiers. You'll remember, Frederick, we had these out at our Twip Joshua Tree workshop, and these things are fantastic. So for those who aren't familiar with them, it's a very clever system of light modifiers that are designed for your small camera flashes, so for your Nikon, Canon, whatever, uh, on-camera flashes. And they basically comprise of a system of a Velcro strap that wraps around the flash head itself, and then you have grids, and you have snoots, and you have color gels, and all kinds of fun little accessories. And we used them out of Joshua Tree. It was great for doing some color gel fills. Um, I've got a longer story that I'll actually have to put on the blog because it's a bit too lengthy for this. But when I was out in Singapore, I did a very cool shoot using a single light and a bunch of those modifiers. And then I actually did a, portrait, a group portrait of about 70 people on a big three-story high stairwell and lit it with a single flash with that modifier, with one of those modifiers, which is I, – I can't even believe that it worked, but it did. So – Honl, uh H-O-N-L, photo, H-O-N-L, photo.com. Check it out. HONL light modifiers. They're fantastic.
1: Very cool. All right, Mr. Brinkman, what do you got?
2: Yes. Uh, so mine is a very sort of specific application. Uh, it's actually a web application. By that, I mean it's a, a web page that uh, you sort of use like an application. And it's not something that is at all high end. But every now and then, I find myself wanting to... A word balloon on a photo I've taken, as in I take a picture of somebody or a dog or something and I want to put... Just a simple little word balloon, having them saying something or thinking something like that. Like Frank I said, realizes expensive. that
0: he's lost. He's lost. <laughs> it's
2: Exactly. It is, it's totally for the humor point of view. Almost always, you know, you take a funny picture and you want to send it to somebody along with them doing something. And, you know, certainly this is something I could just pop into Photoshop and spend about 15 minutes putting together something like that. But there's a website called Super Lame. That's superlame.com. <laughs> I,
1: was thinking, oh, just, I was thinking that. <laughs>
2: Which yeah, it is wonderful because they totally acknowledge exactly how silly this is. But awesome. having said that, the reverse is, marketing. I love it. It is exactly what you want. And you upload this web, you upload the image that you want, and you put in there, you point to where you want your word balloon. And you can do all kinds of stuff like choose it to be you know a thought bubble versus a, a little spoken caption thing. And you can play with the font, and you can play with the positioning and the outline of that thing. And then that's it. You just type in whatever you want to be saying and adjust the size of the thought balloon uh, and it saves it back out for you and you're you're good to go Uh, it's easy to remember super lame Superlame.com, and it's uh, (laughs) it's all right there but i gotta say now
0: that i know about it it, it's sort of uh, prompted me to do a few more of these just because it's so fun and when you get crazy about this and you decide that you need to move on another good one is comic life which is a mac program that lets you build entire you, know, you can build entire comic books with all yeah, these little with, can, with the different panels yeah. and the yeah. A friend of mine, uh, Dave McCumber, um, one time did it with his son, where he got him to do all these poses and everything else, and he did like total superhero uh, comic strip with his son on a Saturday afternoon, and it it was you know Dave Dave is super talented. I mean, and his son is you know is really good at it too. But but Dave Dave will take something that seems like a simple little program and then turn it into a finished artwork. Nice. And uh, anyway, so he did it with his son. And it looked awesome. And so uh, you know the the that's the the next step of that. Of that process, yep. but right. definitely where, super lame is where to start because that's cost money. And it's just free. super lame. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now
1: you my, say that. How <laughs> you going to try it? I'm going to try it. I'm totally going to try it. Uh, my pick of the week is kind of piggybacking off of Joseph's um, his uh, uh, the answer to the question up there, but mine is Smug Mug, but sp- specifically their iPad application and their iPhone application together. Ooh. Uh, Their iPhone application is brilliant. I mean, the the guys over there did an amazing job on it. It's wonderful. Um, But I was Joseph, much like you. I guess we were doing the same thing (laughs) at the same time yesterday. But I was messing around and you know putting my photos online. I was just experimenting with Mac and and making galleries and and that sort of thing. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I have this iPad now. I want to see if I can actually see my galleries and and mess with them using this brand new iPad that I have that came from mm-hmm. the same company that makes the other stuff. And woe is me. I could not. So um, right. I'm a member of Smug Mug. So I went over there. I, so I did a search for a Smug Mug application. I already have it on my iPhone and they have a great iPad application available. Mm-hmm. Downloaded that and boom, they're all my galleries. So I gotta give them like two thumbs up for putting that thing out. It's clean. It's slick. It works. It works very well. It plays your videos, your your JPEGs, all that stuff, right in one spot in on the glorious uh, 1024 by 768 iPad screen. So definitely check that out. Um, and looks like we're the train is coming into the station, Alex. I think we're. <laughs> you didn't have to do this. <laughs> If we really wanted that in there, we could have put it in post. <laughs> woo woo. So we did it again. <clears throat> as long as there's no jar jar, don't that don't kill do it. <laughs> don't do jar jar. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, before I'll we close the, the show. No, no, I'm not ready. Before we close the show, I want to give the folks uh just some reminders to check us out in our Facebook fan page, which is online at Facebook.com forward slash this week in photography. We also have a very vibrant and active Flickr group, and uh, you can get to both of those things actually from our website, which is at
0: twiplog.com.
1: And with that, let's see uh, where can people find you, Alex. Uh,
0: I'm on the Twitters, Alex Lindsay, all one word.
1: Alex Lindsay, all one word. Yep. That's a that's like a sentence, or is just Alex Lindsay? Okay, I got it. Yep. <laughs> we, Alex we, Lindsay, but, all one word. I'm gonna, I, 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 I Somebody's enriched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't do Shut that. it. <laughs> All right, Joseph. Where can <laughs> people find you? Well,
3: let's have people go to apertureexpert.com or on the Twitter's at apertureexpert.
2: Awesome.
1: And Mr. Ron Brinkman, where can people find you online?
2: Most commonly on Twitter, Ron Brinkman. Two ends at the end of Brinkman.
1: Wonderful. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off.